0: This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell.
1: Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for September 16th, 2019. We've talked a lot about the wave of opinion news websites that are taking over the internet. In this podcast, let's talk to the founder of one of them.
0: Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument not the strength of your voice
1: coming up in a few minutes and do you think that that uh, that there's a danger there that that will alienate some people
2: in the middle that's not my concern uh when i when i write articles i don't write them while bearing the weight of other people's sensitivities on my shoulders.
1: That's coming up shortly, but first I want to thank my donors on Patreon. I appreciate you all. If you don't know, Patreon is a website that allows people to donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, and that helps me to devote more time to research and finding interesting guests. So if you, listener, think you could do the same as those other donors, there's details on the website, and at the end of the show, I'd really appreciate it. If I was to ask you what was the most dangerous animal in the world, and you were to think tigers, bears or sharks, you'd be wildly wrong, particularly with sharks. Despite shark week, despite jaws, sharks are not statistically dangerous to humans, quite the reverse. Humans kill millions, many, many millions of times more sharks ...than sharks kill humans. I'm sure some smartass out there will be thinking that the most dangerous animal is man... ...but I'm thinking of other animals that kill humans. And by a mile, the winner is the mosquito. To put it in context, sharks typically kill five or six humans per year worldwide... Depending on your sources, mosquitoes kill somewhere between 700,000 and 2.7 million people per year. Get that. Mosquitoes kill, at the very least, 100,000 times more people than sharks. They're estimated to be responsible for about 17% of all of the disease burden on the planet. I can't wait for Mosquito Week on the Discovery Channel. They kill, of course, by spreading diseases when they bite, notably malaria, but also Zika, dengue and yellow fever and many others. If you live in a Western country and you get one of those diseases, you'll probably survive, probably, because you have access to good health care, but millions of people around the world don't, and die. But there is hope. A newly developed vaccine to malaria is now being deployed in Kenya, and hopefully soon to other countries, and it's proving very effective. This is significant because around the world a child dies of malaria once every two minutes. A separate trial in the African country of Burkina Faso used genetically modified fungus to attack the mosquito. It caused mosquito populations to collapse by 99% within weeks. Another GM technique was to introduce male mosquitoes into the population that, when they bred with wild females produced all-male offspring who retained that trait, causing the population to crash within one breeding season. Wiping out mosquito-borne diseases would have an impact on the world similar to the invention of antibiotics. But, as I say that, I can sense some uneasiness. Some people saying, it sounds like a good thing, but... The countries where mosquitoes kill millions are countries that have very high population growth and are very poor. Would a much lower childhood mortality rate, would that just increase populations unsustainably, causing even more poverty? No. Actually, experience shows that the reverse is true. Lower childhood mortality doesn't speed up population growth it slows it down. A good example is Iran. Infant mortality is measured in deaths per 1,000. The infant mortality rate in the United States is 5.8. In European countries, it's typically 3 or 4. In Iran, the infant mortality rate is worse. It's about 16. So for every 1,000 Iranian babies born, 16 of them die in their first year of life. In the 1960s, Iran had an infant mortality rate of over 200. Get that. For every five babies born, one would not make it to their first birthday. Then something happened. Iran got, maybe not rich, but at least prosperous with oil, and there was the Islamic Revolution. Now I'm no fan of the Iranian regime, but they brought in health care for everyone and other social programs. Through the 1970s and 1980s, the infant mortality rate basically fell off a cliff. So you'd expect a population explosion, right? Wrong. It never happened. From the mid-1980s, there was a sharp slowdown in the country's population growth. People were having fewer babies. They were reacting rationally. If you live in a country where one child in five dies before they say their first word, before they take their first steps, you probably also live in a country where the social security system isn't that great, or most likely doesn't exist at all. If you want to be looked after in your old age, you better have children. And you better be lucky enough for them to survive. You could have five children and expect four to survive, but who knows, you could be unlucky and have all five die. For security, you need to spread your risk and make sure to have as many kids as you can. But when you change to a situation where infant mortality is almost at Western levels, it makes sense to just have a couple of kids and invest your money and energy and love in them. People in the third world aren't stupid. They're reacting rationally to a terrible situation. If we need to slow population growth, and we probably do, the way to do that is to change the rationale. And the way to do that is to wipe out diseases like malaria.
0: Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, email podcast at challengingopinions.com and say what you think.
1: On the line, I have Sky Palma. He's the founder of DeadState.org, a news website, and he's also the senior editor at rostory.com. Sky, DeadState is your personal baby, I guess. It looks like it might just be inspired by a different website that begins with red and ends with state. But I see that on your website, you have a pretty common theme. I would say that you're not at the center of the american religious spectrum would that be right
2: yeah that 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 would be right um i uh i used to identify pretty pretty starkly as an atheist but these days i don't i don't i tend not to label myself and just consider myself someone who is uh you know a skeptic and uh who doesn't really uh abide by any religion but um, you know, I'm respectful of those who do, and I just save my criticisms for people who lean towards the more extremist ends of religion. Sure, yeah, and I wanted
1: to wanted to talk to you about a couple of stories that you did recently about that, about religion in particular. And you have a fairly prominent religion section in the website, and a couple of the headlines here. I see one headline saying, Christian pastor Trump said secret prayer that derailed the Mueller investigation. Christian TV host Jeffrey Epstein is alive and well and walking around with a head transplant and uh, another one Christian Prophet says patriots will drag dead Democrats through the streets if Trump doesn't carry out mass arrests by January right. and for sure there's a theme in maybe more conservative or more right wing news outlets to associate both loyalty to the United States and support particularly of President Trump, but in the Republican Party in general, to associate that with a strongly conservative streak. Is right. it possible that you're mirror imaging that?
2: Uh, how do you mean mirror in- imaging?
1: In that you're maybe accepting their premise that a religious affiliation goes hand in hand with at least uh, republicanism and possibly also supporting president trump
2: um i don't know if I'm accepting their premise, but what I'm trying to do is i'm trying to highlight the absurdity of their statements and their ideology and make that kind of you know just highlighting the uh, the ridiculous the ridiculousness of their of their ideology, and uh, I think when it's done in a certain way. Mm-hmm. It it uh, it exposes how you know almost mentally ill some of the things these people are saying. So I don't know if I'm mirroring it, but I think that I'm actually uh, letting people know that this type of uh, this type of thinking is out there, and it's actually has a pretty big following.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it does, but pretty big still excludes a large majority of the population of the country. And I think that most. Christian people, most people who identify as Christians, be it evangelicals or Roman Catholics or whatever other denomination, when they hear some crackpot saying that Donald Trump is going to receive the cure for cancer from God as long as he's reelected, most, would you accept that most Christians think that that's nuts as well?
2: Well, I mean, I would accept that. And that makes, I mean, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's a reality that I'm happy to accept. Uh, what I'm trying to highlight are the people out there who take those words at face value and believe them and consume them uh, on a regular basis.
1: And and have a have a throw a guess at it because depending on where you know depending on who you read, and depending on what you look at this is either an absolute uh, lunatic fringe, or it is at least informing some of the politics of a broad swathe of the country, the, the more supportive of the president people. Uh, where do you come in on that? Would you, would you accept that this is really very, very small, or do you think that maybe a lot of people have a sneaking regard for this type of stuff?
2: I don't I can't say how small it is but what I do know is that um it's growing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these a lot of these figures that I write about uh, like you know these these evangelical pastors like an evangel, uh, evangelist like Jim Baker mm-hmm. and um Rick Wiles and uh some of the other people I write about um what they essentially do is they've replaced religious uh, religious ideology and religious teachings with, uh, really far out, uh, conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, as far as the, the subject of conspiracy theories in general, that is something that is not on the fringe anymore. Okay. Mm-hmm. We used to call, we used to call people that believe in, you know, nine 11 conspiracy theories, chemtrails. uh, uh, claims that vaccines cause autism, all the, you know, it, it, it runs the whole gamut. And a lot of these people that I write about, they they dabble in these in these brands of conspiracy theories as well. These, in my opinion, and a lot of people will agree with me, these types of beliefs are not necessarily on the fringes anymore. They're growing, growing so much that you have entire media outlets that devote themselves to regurgitating and expanding on these types of conspiracy theories and these websites are hugely followed they have millions of viewers they you know up until facebook started enacting a lot of its algorithm changes these Mm. websites had huge engagement on facebook and other forms of social media so i don't think that these things are necessarily on the fringe anymore i think it has a growing audience and just from my experience as a publisher when if I were, you know, if I were to publish a story that debunks a lot of these, uh, the these belief systems, in the comment threads of the, of, the, of these stories, you'll always have a significant percentage of people who believe them and who will attack you for trying to add some form of skepticism to them. Ew,
1: the one thing I don't know if you're aware of it, what's called the backfire effect, which has been documented by psychologists, that people who have strongly held beliefs. This works, by the way, with both ends of the political spectrum. But people who have strongly held beliefs of things that are wrong, or that are just factually incorrect, they tend to cling more dearly
2: to and those become, errors they, when they they're become, contradicted. And they become more entrenched, absolutely. Absolutely. But my but my my goal and, and my what I do I'm not out to change these people's mind. I think mm-hmm. that these people a lot of these people are. I mean, although there are cases of people who have turned themselves around and uh, and have you know cast off these these belief systems. Mm. Uh, I I don't I don't believe there's anything I can do to change their minds. And that's my, a, that's a fairly small sliver of them. What uh, the the, the any, people who flip. Yeah, it's a, yeah. That that it's a, it's a small percentage, but it does happen but um you know like i said i'm not i'm not trying to change anybody's minds because I don't believe that I can mm-hmm. what i try to what I try to do is take these people who espouse and disseminate these 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 ideas and kind of shine a light on them and add uh and create an environment where you know, their ideas are somewhat, you know, kind of mocked, you know, so people can see when they're first exposed to these people, mm-hmm. they can see the, the the ridiculousness of it. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, I think that one of the most effective ways to combat extremist beliefs, and uh, religious extremist religious ideology is to uh, apply a certain amount of mockery to it people like mark taylor and jim baker mm-hmm. and rick wiles i think these people are hilarious i, I think they're funny rick wiles i should I- say is the
1: person who who said that jeffrey epstein is alive and well and walking around with a head right. transplant and
2: and, and and there's so much unintentional comedy there that you yeah. just you know, i mean it's 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 hilarious and a lot of my readers find that that you know find that um Find it entertaining. Sure. I, I first of all I gotta give you a hundred percent. It is entertaining. The
1: website is very entertaining. And as far as I can see, I can't do a full audit of it, but as far as I can see, it's fact based. And that puts you about a million miles above an awful lot of right. clickbait websites that essentially just make
2: up the most provocative stuff that they can make up well i I appreciate you saying that yeah and uh that's that's something that i've always strived for and you
1: you, you should know that Tyrion lannister said never never listen to anything before the bot because the bot is that
2: it is still kind of clickbaity isn't it well of course i mean i mean i mean i wouldn't say i don't i don't think that i use clickbaity titles in the sense in, in as far as the definition of clickbait is concerned. I think Mm -hmm. my titles, I think my headlines are very straightforward. I think that they, I think what clickbait does is it insults the intelligence of the reader and kind of dangles a shiny object in front of of them and says, hey, you know, come over here and click on my article. Mm -hmm. I don't think that my, I don't think my headline, I don't think that my headlines do that. I think my headlines are very straightforward and factual and they kind of you know, in a subtle way, highlight the irony and and the the comedy of a a lot of the absurdity of politics and, and, uh, you know, other things of a similar nature. But um, as far as clickbaity is concerned, I don't think I, I don't think what I do is clickbait. But I mean, I have to craft headlines in such a way that will entice people to read. But I, but, I, but I do it in, in a way that doesn't insult the intelligence of the reader, at least from my perspective. I, I, I accept, accept that.
1: that, and in particular, the fact that it's it's factually based, uh, I think, puts it head and shoulders above that. But you would accept that the news values are perhaps influenced by attracting the type of reader that
2: you want? Well, whatever news value I put out there, I mean, I don't claim to be a journalist. I'm not a journalist. Okay. I'm somebody, I'm somebody who, you know, basically aggregates content and writes opinion pieces every now and then. You know, I'm not a journalist. I'm not, I'm not publishing for the sake of, uh, I don't think that I'm necessarily doing anything groundbreaking Mm -hmm. or contributing anything that's to, to the moral good. As far as what I do, I think what I just do is I, 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 I have a knack for, uh, noticing certain things that I find, um, to be, Ironically entertaining and that's, the, you know, that's just what I do. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't claim to have any type of mission that's above and beyond that.
1: I want to move on to a different topic in a moment, but just do you ever get, do you ever sigh and say, look at maybe the, the right wing type of websites that you report on sometimes and also some stuff on the left and say, is this what we've come to?
2: Well, anybody who, anybody who follows me on social media will know that I'm a huge critic. I'm a huge, even though I, I identify as a liberal person and have socially liberal values, I'm a huge critic of the left. And I think in a lot of ways there's, a, there's many segments of the left that have literally lost its mind. And I think that um, you know, whether it's on the left or whether it's on the right, when you look at the publishing industry as a whole – it is, it is pretty broken. And a lot of, a lot of days I find myself saying, you know, maybe, you know, I'd like to, you know, just get away from, get away from social media altogether. But, um, one thing I will definitely agree with is that, um, as far as, you know, disinformation, uh, clickbait headlines, uh, uh, taking things out of context. I mean, that, that's a phenomenon that's prevalent on both the left and the right it's 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 not it's not one side uh doing it more than the other although i think i, I think in my opinion i think a lot of the right wing uh style of publishing when it comes to that with that when it comes to that type of misinformation is a little bit more vile mm-hmm. but even then you know it's it's debatable i mean for someone to go on on for some Lefty alternative person to go on Facebook and 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 claim that vaccines cause autism. I think that's pretty vile. So You've actually all- anticipated my
1: next my next question because yeah. you're based in California, and California is perhaps the epicenter of the anti-vax movement, and that does go across the political aisle to some degree, particularly yeah. with the perhaps the um, religious homeschool yes. movement. Yeah. But for sure, it is very very well grounded in well off left leaning communities in California. And Absolutely. they have been the engine of absolute nonsense online.
2: Absolutely. There are area there are areas in Southern California and well off, you know, well to do Southern California uh, cities that have vaccination vaccination rates that are similar to South Sudan. So yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. For
1: people who perhaps aren't up to speed on that, give us the elevator pitch on why vaccines are good and why anti-vaccine activism is bad.
2: Well, I'm not a doctor, you know, but all I can do, all I can do is, uh, is, is talk about, you know, what, what I know is just somebody who is, who can consume information just like anybody else mm-hmm and um yeah i mean i don't i don't i don't need to reiterate that that vaccines are are proven to work and uh they've eradicated a lot of diseases and a lot of diseases that that have been eradicated that are now making a comeback are doing so as a direct result of the misinformation that these charlatans are peddling
1: perhaps i shouldn't have asked you and to answer a doctor's question in the sense of why vaccines work but I, maybe it's more interesting to ask why the anti-vaccine movement works. Why does it have such a hold, particularly on the places that you mention, particularly on the West Coast, particularly with people who would otherwise see themselves as progressive?
2: Because there's a lot of people who feel that they, um, they I don't know, I, I, that's a hard question because I think the motivations behind people who spread that type of disinformation, I mean, I think I think it comes from a lot of different places. Uh, I think a lot of people just they they see certain patterns and they tend to attribute those patterns to something that isn't necessarily true. I read this one interesting account. I can't remember where it was from, but it was mm-hmm. but it was uh it was written by a pediatrician who had a mother and her daughter into her, uh, into her office to, uh, to, to, to be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And she said that, uh, before the, the, uh, the, the little girl sat down to, to get her vaccination, for some reason, she had some type of an episode where she got uh, nervous or something and she fainted. Right. Mm -hmm. And the doctor, the doctor made a point, uh, to say that if that little girl had fainted, After she received the vaccination, there was probably a good chance that there was that would that there would be nothing she could do to convince the mother that the little girl's fainting wasn't related to the vaccine she just received. Mm -hmm. So I think I think I think that it has a lot to do with just uh, it has a lot to do with fear of the unknown. Um, I think a lot of people, when they when they experience bad things in their life, they experience uh, health uh, issues. They look for something to blame it on, and a lot, and uh, you know, and uh, other examples could just be people that just simply don't understand how to separate fact from fiction when they're when they're browsing the web. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why, and some people actually, some people just like to believe in in conspiracy theories like that because it titillates them. It gives them a sense that there's something mysterious going on, and it adds kind of a it it. Disrupts the routine of their boring lives in some ways, so I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of there 's a lot of origins as to why why those belief systems persist. One thing that you mentioned
1: earlier was in some areas, the left in the u s has lost its mind i 'm wondering if that 's true. Do you think that 's true outside a very small number of crazies who right wing media very much like to give a megaphone
2: to well um i can i don't i mean i think it varies i don't think it's i don't think it's as small and condensed as 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 you say i think that people participate in that type of a thing at different levels um just the other day um her name is is drawing a blank but uh i was you know i was scrolling through through twitter and uh there's a very prominent MSNBC analyst who posted a video. There's a video that went viral back in 2017 of, mm-hmm. the, Polish, of the Polish first lady seemingly uh, going past Trump and shaking uh, uh, Melania's hand and ignoring Trump, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what, what a lot of people did on, on social media was they took that video clip and they chopped it down so it looked like the Polish first lady was completely ignoring Trump and brushing him aside – as 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 a mean as as a way to to possibly say you know you know you know f you you know mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. when when you when you look at the longer video it's apparent that it was just an oversight that she didn't see Trump's outstretched hand she went and shook Melania's hand then went back to Trump and shook his hand mm-hmm. but then here we, here we have an MSNBC analyst who is uh, on the show quite consistently who is a law professor tweet out that video that was debunked by Snopes in 2017 and presenting it to her hundreds of thousands of followers as, as what the, the original debunked narrative claimed the video to to represent. Mm -hmm. So I think that you, you know, even, even, even big name people who are established members of established media outlets can participate in that type of a thing too. So when I say the left has lost his mind, I think that um, I think that varies and it can it can take place at different levels amongst different people.
1: Um, yeah, I think you're referring to uh, Joyce Aline there who, who um, retweeted that, uh, but that's like a, a single error. But the narrative that um, well, that it's, an,
2: it's, it's a big error though. It is a big she, error. That's true, she, but she, it's a single error somebody, by a single person. She, she, she's somebody who is is. Pretty highly educated and has a pretty a pretty uh, noteworthy position. And for her to de- demonstrate such such sloppiness when when disseminating information to to people on social media and you know where she has a huge platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's just it, it you know. All you need is, all you need is half a brain to, to research something like that and figure out whether it's true or not.
1: I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that somebody who's a journalist absolutely should not get caught doing that, but there are thousands of journalists. And I think the reason that she did that or was tempted in the moment of whatever to do that was because it is confirming a belief system and yeah. a certain cohort, particularly of anti Trump people in the United States want to believe that Trump is the greatest humiliation for the United States ever. I would have to say that the quality of fact checking for a whole cohort of right-wing journalists is many orders of magnitude lower than that.
2: That may be true. I mean, I would, I guess we, we would, I would, I would, you know, we'd have to, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's obviously true in a lot of cases, but I think that's, you know, as you know, whether you're talking about right-wing journalists or left-wing journalists, I mean, that's, that's something you'd have to analyze on a case-by-case basis, I guess.
1: One other thing that I want to look at is maybe contrasting some of the more serious stories and the more frivolous stories that you cover. I see two stories here. One is about Bernie Sanders talking about the two Congresswomen who are barred at some stage from entering Israel. And his his quote is saying that if Israel bars members of Congress from entering, it shouldn't get billions in US aid. And the story I would compare it to that you also wrote, the headline is Missouri council member chooses Dr. Seuss book over the Bible for swearing in ceremony. Um, In terms of news value and in terms of attracting an audience which of those two works both in in uh, in both of those uh schemes
2: um i think that the uh the one about the uh woman swearing in with the doctor seuss book is pretty self-explanatory in 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 regards to how uh people who are secular are becoming you know are coming more and more coming out of the closet mm-hmm. and being more vocal about their non-religious, uh, nature, um, in the political sphere. I think that's, I think that's pretty, that's pretty relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as the Bernie Sanders story, uh, I think it was just a straightforward write-up of a, uh, story that was in the news. And I think if you read the article, it doesn't really lend any type of, um, it doesn't really, uh, it, it doesn't really, uh, suggest that the article is taking bernie sanders side or not you know it's just it's just a, mm-hmm. pretty much a straightforward write up of something that happened that happened i think that uh if anything uh uh people like rashida talib and uh ilhan omar are controversial figures and people will want to read about them regardless.
1: The one thing that struck me about that, well, there's two things, one good and one bad, but the good one is that uh, there was a good old yellow press tradition of essentially getting people to read then the newspaper, now the website, by having entertaining stories, and maybe stories that are just entertainment, and mixing through with that more serious stories. Is that what you're trying to do on that? And the, that, the one I, that, that,
2: that that's that. Yeah, you could say that. That's what I'm doing. So it's a balance between the more eccentric and uh, out there stories. And with uh, more straightforward uh news of the day stories mixed in with it. Yeah, absolutely.
1: The one, I think the one piece of information that I think a lot of people don't really realize is just how much aid that Israel gets from the United States, whether it's justified or not is another question. But as I understand it, Israel gets more than half of all the foreign aid that the US gives to the entire world But my fear on that, and I think you know, you're doing a pretty good job in terms of that yellow journalism. Uh, I don't say that in a derogatory way, but that that popular journalism. But the one thing that I would be anxious over is that if I was a religious, more conservative person coming to that, particularly that's Dr. Sue's story, that could be interpreted as though she was trying to essentially insult religious people by substituting a children's book where the Bible is normally used. Can you see from that from that point of view? I could definitely see someone having those
2: feelings, Absolutely.
1: And do you think that, that that there's a danger
2: there that that will alienate some people in the middle? That's not my concern uh when i When I write articles, I don't write them while bearing the weight of other people's sensitivities on my shoulders uh-huh. uh, if somebody If somebody is turned off by you know i I didn't invent that story that's something that happened.
1: But this is a state senator in Missouri. This is not a senior politician
2: right. So, yes.
1: so th- you know, this is the first and last time we will hear about that particular politician.
2: Probably, but I think it's noteworthy because it's just, like I said before, It's just it's a story that highlights how more and more people are feeling more comfortable about their secularism and voicing it in the public sphere like that, especially in politics.
1: Do you think that there's a tension between that and the desire of people not to have religion
2: imposed on them? Yeah. I mean, I would imagine so. I'm, you know, uh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I would be one of those people who, um, who don't want religion imposed on me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but at the same time, if I were to ever insult somebody who is religious, it would be somebody who I feel deserves it. Not somebody who is just simply, uh, somebody who simply just holds a certain belief system. You know, I think if somebody was trying to impose that belief system on me, And or Mm -hmm. or or my child or or in some way trying to make their religious belief system seep into my daily life, then uh, I I personally I I have no qualms about insulting that person. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But you know, as far as people in the middle, you know how they feel. I can't. I can't. uh, It's it's not my it's not my concern. About what people in the middle might think about certain things, people can either take take these stories or, or leave them. you know people can either be offended by them or find entertainment in, by, in, in them you know, i, I don 't really i don 't spend too much time thinking about that. My main concern is just making sure that the stories are presented accurately and, and, and fact based and they adhere to a certain standard
1: One last question for you. Yeah. I can see that you are pushing the petition out there to have joe rogan. Moderate the upcoming presidential debates. What's? I'm not. I'm
2: not. I'm I'm not pushing the petition. I just wrote something about it. I just thought it was interesting that that the position got such a huge response. I I, I
1: I, did too. I did too. I think it would be highly entertaining. Do do you think that he could nail down some candidates who have managed to evade being uh, nailed down before?
2: I don't know. It's like I have kind of I kind of have I have mixed feelings about Joe Rogan. The funny thing is that I watch I watch him often Mm -hmm. and uh, I appreciate him as an interviewer. I think he's brilliant in what he does. I think as far as, you know, as a commentator, when it comes to the fight game, you know, I'm somebody who I train Brazilian jiu jitsu. I have a black belt, so I'm really into the martial arts Mm -hmm. and his you know, I think his knowledge about fighting is is superb. I think that He's had some hits and misses, you know. I think that he tends not to. I I think his research is lacking for some of the people he interviews, Mm -hmm. and that's and that's frustrating. So personally, I don't think that he would be an ideal person to to moderate any type of presidential debate. But at the same time, I think the long form style that he does and the way he promotes the idea of dialogue and not having it, you know, be cut up. In segments or in sound bites, I think that's what needs to be done. I think his method is what is is, is was what I want to see. I don't know if I necessarily want to see Joe Rogan, the man, uh, n- narrate the debates. Although, like you said, it would be entertaining. Sky Palmer, thank you very much for talking to me. Okay, thank you. Bye bye.
0: Have you read a blog post or an opinion piece that you think is really right or really wrong? Tell us why email podcast at challengingopinions.com and let's discuss it on the next show.
1: Go to the website for sources and links to what we were talking about. And while you're there, please like the show on Facebook, follow at ChallengingO on Twitter, and follow Sky Palma at Dead State Tweets. And get in touch with me if you can suggest a guest or a topic for a future show. Thanks also to everyone who's signed up so far as a patron on Patreon. I really appreciate you. It means I can devote more time to research and finding interesting guests. And if you could do the same as them and donate a buck or two per podcast or per month, you'll find the link on the website. Also, you can find out how to subscribe to the podcast for free on your computer, on your phone or by email. It's all at www.challengingopinions.com. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.